You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. Let me ask a quick question. How many of you dads are going to be treated to a fine dining experience sometime today? All right, a few of you. How many of you are going to be at home firing up the grill and cooking for your own family? A lot of you, yeah. That seems to be the tradition that we see around Father's Day, but whatever your plans are, I pray that you have a blessed day. Uh, I'm looking forward to a great day. Uh, I don't know all that the day holds in store. Two of my daughters are traveling this weekend, uh, but I'll have the opportunity to spend some time with uh, my wife, Teresa, my daughter, Donna, and her husband, Chad, and that beautiful, sweet baby, Israel Jane. And uh, so it'll be a great day. And as you see, I have the first, the first Father's Day gift for this year came yesterday, and it socks with that beautiful little face all over. So uh, I have those to preach in today. So she is there supporting me uh, this morning. For those of you who may be guests, my name is Jim Dunn. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And usually when I take the platform, I am sharing revenue and expense reports. So today uh, I have the opportunity to open God's word and to be able to share with you and study with you uh, this morning. And as we do so, uh, we're going to continue to look at our summer series called Summer on the Mount as we continue looking at this great sermon by our King Jesus and all that he has to say and as he's laying it out. He's talking about what it means to be a part of that kingdom. The invitation comes for us to be a part of the kingdom. And this sermon really lays out uh, what life looks like as one of his disciples. Uh, Now, we have learned as we've kind of entered into this study that as Jesus has been about reaching and teaching and doing healing, that large crowds have begun to follow him. And uh, they they are coming in droves to find out who this man is that has burst onto the scene. They want to know, who is this man named Jesus? Is this a prophet sent from God? Or could this truly be the Messiah? And so they're asking these questions. And as the crowd comes, Jesus takes the opportunity to sit on the hillside and to begin to teach them and share with them about what it means to be a part of his kingdom and what life looks like for those who are his followers. Now, As we saw, Jesus began with the Beatitudes, and he laid out the very nature and character of those who would be a part of his kingdom. And we saw things, that they would be pure in heart, that they would be poor in spirit, that they would be meek, that they would mourn and be comforted. We saw those things. And then he even said that you may be persecuted because of me. But in light of all of that, no matter what comes your way, blessedness will flow into your life because you're my follower. And so stay the course and be salt and light in the darkness of this world. And so Jesus is encouraging them in those things. Now, we understand that as he begins to teach and share these things, there are probably questions that began to arise out of his teaching. Because as he's teaching and all of the people are gathered around, he's sharing things and nothing has been said about the law and the prophets. And I'm sure that there's probably a murmur that is going about in the crowd and they are asking, by what authority is this man teaching 
And what is he sharing? How come he is not speaking of Moses and the law and the prophets and all that hangs in there? And so they're beginning to question that because, listen, these people had learned the Holy Scriptures from the time they were children. And they had learned that they were to uh, be in the Scripture, that they were to study them, and they were to uh, love the law and meditate on the law both day and night. They were to walk in the law and not to turn to the left or to the right. They were to teach the law and the ways of God to their children so that they would know what was coming their way. And so they knew and they held to the promise that God had made that blessed is he whose way is blameless. Blessed is the one who walks in the law. And so I'm sure that there were the questions being asked, and I'm sure that there are others sitting in the crowd, and they are questioning and saying that this man is teaching contrary to the Holy Scriptures and that he should not be heard. As we get into our passage today, Jesus is going to address that very question of where he stands with the Holy Scriptures, where he stands in relation to the law and the prophets. And so as we continue this sermon, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We have a lot of verses to cover today, uh, a long passage to dive into. And as uh, the bandit used to say, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So buckle up, right? For you young people, that just went completely (laughs) over your head. For those of you in the room who are old enough, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Matthew chapter 5. Verse 17 through 30 is where we'll be today. The passage will be on the screens. You can have it in your Bible and also on your devices. But the word of the Lord says, and Jesus said to them, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said, To those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body 
be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that it holds truth for us in this day. And we pray that in this moment that you would open our ears to hear and give us eyes that we might see and give us hearts that we might respond in obedience to the things your spirit reveals to us in this day. Bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we find from this text, Jesus answers this question about his stance on the law and the prophets, and he is answering the question that is no no doubt a concern for those out there. And he says to them that I have not come to abolish the commandments that you know. I've not come to do away with the scriptures, but I've come to fulfill them. Look at verse 17. He says these words, I have not come to abolish. I've not come to do away with them. I've not come to destroy them, to nullify them, to throw them out but I have come to fulfill them. I have come to fill them to the full. I have come that they might come to be completed in in life. And so Jesus is telling them that, hey, not even the smallest word, if we look in verse 18, he says this, I truly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is saying this, look, Not the smallest word of the scripture and not even the smallest stroke of the pen in the scriptures are going to be done away with, but they are going to stand until all is accomplished, until all is accomplished. So Jesus is affirming the authority of the scriptures of the people. Now that would have been the law and the prophets, the Pentateuch, the Torah, and the prophets. That was the people's scripture. That's our Old Testament. And he is saying that those things hold authority. And then as he continues to lay this teaching out, he's going to lay his teaching on top of that and and equal the authority of his own words with that of the Old Testament scripture showing that he truly is God and he truly is the living word. And so he equates his teaching with the Old Testament scriptures as he affirms their timelessness and their authority. Now, As we began to think about these things, we began to ask questions about what certain laws, ceremonial laws, sacrificial laws, what about all of those things? Well, when it comes to ceremonial and sacrificial laws, those were a foreshadow of what was going to take place in the very life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the next few years, he is going to fill them to the full. He is going to bring them to completion so that those hold no place place in the life of a believer anymore. But there are those laws and those commands within the Old Testament scripture that are moral commands. They are behavioral commands that are not going to pass away. And for those who are still part of his kingdom, we are to walk in obedience to the commands that the scriptures laid out. Jesus says these words. He says, look, If anyone teaches these Old Testament commands, if they do them and teach them, they're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says in verse 19. Those who teach and lead others away from them will be least, but those who do them and those who teach them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus clears up 
any question that people may have had about his standing with the Old Testament scripture, uh, namely the law and the prophets. And he moves on to the subject of life in his kingdom. And the thing that we discover as we move forward from this point on in the Sermon on the Mount is that the kingdom life is a righteous life. The kingdom life is a righteous life. Righteousness is the key word that sums up God's holy kingdom, and righteousness is the key term that will, that will be throughout the rest of his sermon as he talks about the life of those who are his disciples. So this morning in our remaining time, I want us to look at three revelations of righteousness and the believer. And the first revelation is this. The first revelation of righteousness is that we see righteousness is elevated. Righteousness is elevated. You see, our righteousness should exceed professional righteousness. Look at verse 20 and what it says. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, who are the scribes and Pharisees? They're the religious leaders, right? So he's telling the whole audience that, hey, unless your righteousness is elevated beyond that of the religious leaders, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. I mean, he really elevates what life is to be like for people. Now, listen, as he says these words, what do you think the reaction of the audience was? I imagine there was a gasp. I imagine they were taken back. Jesus, you're telling me that unless my righteousness is better and higher than that of the religious leaders, I will never see the kingdom of heaven. How in the world do I even stand a chance? How can I live up to the righteousness that you are talking about when the very people who epitomize righteousness in our society, you're saying it must be higher than theirs? So he says those things, and I'm sure that there's a rumbling that begins to go throughout the crowd. Listen, the religious leaders, they were elevated and lifted up. They were the, the top of the society in the, in the Jewish uh, society. Scribes were known for their religious activism. They were known for interpreting and looking deeply into the law. They were, they were the ones who wrote the law. And listen, if they messed up, they tore that out and started completely over again. They were the ones who were intently looking into the law of the Lord on a day, daily basis. They were deeply revered for their appreciation for the law and the prophets. The Pharisees. The Pharisees were known for their religious separatism. They were ones who would, who would separate themselves and detach themselves from their families, from their children, from their, from their friends in order to do those things that they deemed the law demanded upon their lives. Listen, the Pharisees and the scribes, their righteousness went beyond what the law required in so many areas. They tithed beyond the standard of, of the law. They, they fasted beyond the standard of the law. They did all of these things, and they were the religious leaders of the time. Now, if the religious leaders were not practicing the righteousness that would be part of the kingdom, then what in the world were they doing? When general, they were taking the laws of God, and they were manipulating them in such a way that they would be easier to obey. 
You see, they were taking the commandments and they were manipulating them and they were allowing for excessive permissions in their lives. And so they were not living to the full intent of the law, but they were living by the letter of the law. And that's what we want to look at today. And so as he shares these things, he's talking about these moral commands of the law. Listen, basically, they, they were making more obedience more readily attainable in their own lives uh, as they were going through this. Now, as the crowd heard Jesus elevate righteousness to those in the kingdom, they're asking that question, what about me? My life doesn't look anything like that guy's life. And he's the religious leader. Jesus, where is my hope? Well, we know and understand that Jesus had a lot of words to say about the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, he, he's the one who taught throughout Scripture. He called them whitewashed tombs of looking good on the outside and being full of dead man's bones. He was the one who said, you will wash the outside of the dish, but inside the dish is still full of filth. Jesus had a lot to say about the religious leaders because they were living to a letter of the law and not fulfilling them intently. Listen, in order for us to please God, Jesus says that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that leads us to the second revelation in which Jesus answers the question what this true righteousness looks like. And the second revelation of righteousness is this, is that righteousness is explained. He's going to lay it out and explain it to us so that we can know in this part of the teaching, Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. He's going to nail it down for us, and he's going to let us see what this righteousness in the kingdom looks like. Jesus went from giving us a picture of the characteristics and nature of those who will make up to the kingdom uh, and, and giving to giving examples of how we should live. He goes from preaching about the kingdom and the Beatitudes to getting in verses 21 and following, and he really just begins to meddle. I mean, he just steps on toes and gets on people really fast, all right? So he goes from teaching to downright meddling. The remainder of chapter five, Jesus will look at six commands from the Old Testament. And as he looks at these commands, he does so with, with the purpose of giving explanation to them and showing the true intention of the law and the prophets and what the righteous requirement of each of those is. He does this by giving us the Old Testament command and then laying out a new code or a new explanation of how this should be hashed out in the lives of those who would come after him. Within our text today, Jesus looks at two commands from the Old Testament. In fact, he looks at two commands straight from the Ten Commandments that we find in Exodus. He looks at commandment number six and commandment number seven, and he gives a fuller explanation of what is meant by those commands. Look at the following verses. He says these words, Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Hang on that one for a minute, Joe. I want you to understand, this does not say thou shalt not kill, all right? It says thou shalt not murder. And what he's talking about here is a premeditated act of taking someone's life. 
He's not talking about uh, acts of war or things such as that. He's talking about the premeditated act of taking someone's life. He goes on and looks at the seventh commandment in verse 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so he gives us these two commands. And he moves beyond the letter of the law, and he begins to give us the true intent. Listen, the religious leaders, the religious leaders were outstanding at living up to the letter of the law, and they weighed their righteousness out upon that standard, all right? And they, they looked at what it said, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. And they looked at their life and said, hey, I'm doing pretty good, Right? The scribes and the Pharisees, it was all about an outward righteousness. Now, they could be harboring bitterness and anger and and lack of self-control and unbridled anger in their hearts toward others, but if they didn't follow through with the physical murder of somebody, they were okay, right? Same is true with the case of adultery, And and it goes about it there. They could look with lustful intent upon a woman, but if they did not step outside of the bounds of marriage, they felt that they were living up to the letter of the law. And Jesus is pointing out that is not the intention. And that's not what the law stands for. And here is where he goes straight to the heart, that it's not about outward appearance, but it's about where those things originate. And they originate deep within our being. Jesus, dealing with the commandment about murder, explains that it's all about unbridled and uncontrolled anger. I think that's where it gets all of us, right? I mean, you're probably like me, and Jim, how's your day going? Well, I hadn't murdered anybody. (laughs) Going really good. It's going really good. And so, you know, we look at that command, and we can see that the Pharisees, we measure up in the same way, right? Right? But then we began to let the light of the word of God shine deep within their heart and we kind of quickly understand that we're not all there. We're not all there. You see, when we're confronted with that, I find all too often that I fall way short of God's righteous standard that is required of me. I mean, let's get real. All I have to do to go down that progression of anger in my life is walk out into my driveway, back onto my street, and drive up to Highway 17. You know where I live, Cindy, right? And it very quickly comes over me, all right? And you can see this progression of anger as I enter into the traffic on Highway 17. And you can ask my family how many times I have verbally let someone have it out of bitterness and inner rage because their lack of driving skills. The good thing about that is they don't hear me. (laughs) And it really does more harm to me than it ever does to them. But one thing it does do is it shines the light of God's demands and God's law into my heart. And I am confronted with a sickness that I see in my heart that breaks my heart. And I know when it breaks my heart, it breaks the heart of my father. Uh, Listen, truly, not all anger leads to murder. We all know that to be true. But every murder begins with anger. We know that. 
And I confess, and I think you have to confess, that we know and we understand that our words do have the ability to take life or give life. How many of you have been stung by the words of someone else? And it robs you of joy and life that you have. Or how many of you have let a wheel fly off and you have unloaded on someone and in the moment you took joy in the fact that you let them have it, right? Well, Jesus exposes the true nature of our hearts by shining the light of that commandment into that as we look at a lack of self-control and unbridled and unchecked anger. Listen, it was anger in the heart that caused Cain to murder his brother Abel. And that scene has been played out throughout our history. But just look at some of the scriptures that deal with the attitude of our heart. First John chapter three, verse 15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a what? Is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then look at this passage from James. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the what? The righteousness of God. Our anger doesn't bring out anything that helps God. Now, an anger, a righteous anger, yes, but this is not talking about a righteous anger against the, the injustices of our society and our world. It's that anger that broods in us that seeks to attack the character and nature of someone else. Listen, the same is true when it comes to the teaching on adultery. People have been taught that they should not commit adultery, but Jesus goes to the heart of the matter. In verse 28, he says, you have heard it says you shall not commit adultery, but I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, you see the thought here is the same. These religious leaders could have had impure and in, in, in inappropriate thoughts in their heart and in their mind, but it did not lead to them stepping outside of the bounds of marriage, and they did not have physical relations outside of their marriage relationship. So they thought that what? Their righteousness was intact. And Jesus says, no, it's not about the outward act. It's about what's going on in the heart. Jesus blows that thought completely out of the water and he goes straight to the heart of the matter for just like murder, Jesus knew that adultery begins right here. It begins right here. It's a story that's illustrated beautifully in Genesis 39 where we find in verse six that Joseph is handsome in form and appearance. And we find in that story that Potiphar's wife has an eye for Joseph, right? And that, that eye that she had for Joseph led to her lusting after him in inappropriate ways. And we find that in the scripture. Now look, it's, it's not wrong for us to be able to recognize beauty. I mean, God gave us eyes to see. Each of us are a beautiful creation that God has formed and fashioned in his image. He has given us the ability to see beauty. It's when the look goes beyond the recognition of beauty to casting an eye on someone for the, with the purpose of fulfilling a sexual desire that is coming from within our hearts. Now, 
we know adultery is typically seen as someone who is married, who steps outside of their marriage bounds. Could be two married people, could be one married person. And we know and we understand that. But listen, this aspect of lust that stems from the heart deals with a very strong sexual desire for anyone that you're not married to. So it doesn't matter if you're single in this room, if you're a young person in this room, or where you are, lust begins in the heart and it's looking for someone, looking at someone in a way to fulfill a wrong attitude and desire. Listen, sex is a God-given gift to a husband and a wife. And to step outside of that is sin. And so for people who are not married to step into a physical relationship with someone else, that is sin because that is not within the confines of marriage. And Jesus is letting us know that adultery begins in the heart as one casts longing eyes on someone that is not our spouse. Listen, this aspect of lust is an epidemic in our culture today. With pornography being so readily available, we see its devastation all around us. I remember as a boy coming across a stash of magazines. And as a boy finding magazines and and because I found those, it led to great lust and impure thoughts in my life as a young boy. And I battled that for much of my life. There's a power and an attraction and a pull that is there. Listen, what was once packaged as a freeing sexual revolution has become the prison for so many men and now even women throughout their lives. Sex sells. Or to put it in terms today, sex gets clicks, right? Right? With smartphones, with laptops, with tablets, with computers, people can encounter images and pictures that are wrong very easily. Pornographic images are very easily accessible in our world today. In fact, all it takes is one click or one swipe. You can even fall fall into them by mistake at times on your computer. That's why you need to have guards and safeguards so often. Listen, the pornification of the popular culture means that younger generations are coming of age in a hyper-sexualized culture. They, in turn, tend to be more open to sexual experimentation, to self-expression, leading to a further social acceptance of pornography and explicit content in our world. Listen, the porn industry is a multi-billion dollar industry in our world today. And you begin to wonder where it will ever stop because, listen, it's impacting not only the culture outside of the church, it is impacting the culture within the church. And those that are 18 to 25, Barna Research Institute did a survey and a study in relation to these things. But for people ages 18 to 25, one out of every two, 50%, look at pornography once a week on a weekly basis. In fact, for young men 18 to 25, it's closer to 70%. And with women 18 to 25, it's 47 to 50%, but one out of every two. In fact, the same group feels 
that it is a greater sin not to recycle than it is to watch porn. They also feel that it is a greater sin to consume more water and more electricity than you need than it is to view porn. That is the culture that we're living in today where lust and impure thoughts and motives are deep within our hearts. Listen, Jesus is letting us know that this kingdom life is about a life of righteousness. It's not about adherence to an outward command. We see our calling to a greater righteousness and the question begins to come to mind, how do we achieve it? If it's within our heart, how in the world am I to achieve an elevated righteousness that exceeds that of the most spiritual people of that day? How do I get there? And that leads to the third revelation of righteousness that we see, and that is righteousness employed. Righteousness employed. And the thing that we see here is that this righteousness is applied through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is enabled by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within our lives. That's how it's accomplished. As we give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ to follow after him, accepting that invitation to be a part of his kingdom, and then trusting and relying and leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit to equip us and enable us to live out this life. With both commands that we found that he dealt with in this passage, we found that there were consequences and there were cause to action in those commands. In the aspect of murder, there was the course of civil judgment that would come if, if you murdered someone, and we know that's to, to be true. I mean, that's the way the court system worked, but Jesus took it further. He's saying, look, you're going to, be, you're going to receive judgment for just harsh words spoken, uh, for, for belittling someone, for calling them a name, for calling them a fool. And listen, he's saying that the judgment is severe and there's a call to action. That call to action in the aspect of, of anger is that we would be reconciled to our brother. If we are going to worship that we know and understand that there's something in my heart that is unchecked and I need to deal with that and I need to confess that before God and I need to seek my brother out and I need to be reconciled to him. I need to be reconciled to him for the word spoken. Jesus calls for action. As we look at the lustful, adulterous heart, it's some severe action, right? I mean, we look at that passage and it looks like Jesus is calling for self-mutilation. He's talking about gouging your eye out, cutting your hand off, right? It's better for those to be thrown into the fire than for your whole body to be thrown. He's saying that the consequence of sin is great, and we need to understand that we need to deal with the sin in a, in a timely, in a real matter. And listen, he's not calling us to self-mutilation because where does it originate? It originates here. You see, we need a heart change. We need to be changed from the inside out. It, it is said of origin that Ma he took Matthew 19, 12 literal. I mean, he made himself a eunuch for the kingdom of God. And who knows, in his thoughts and in his minds, he must have thought that if he did this, if he self-mutilated himself, that he would be able to control the inner passions of his heart. But that is not true. It comes from within. Listen, what a man needs is a new heart, a transformed heart. 
in order to put to death the sinful ways. That's why Paul calls us to mortify the deeds of the flesh, to put them to death. And we can't do it on our own. We can't do it in our own power and strength. We can try all we want to, but we will never live up to the righteous expectations of Jesus Christ and his kingdom followers in our flesh. See, the standard that he has laid is a high standard. It's an elevated standard. The the law served that very purpose. That was its purpose, to point out the ugliness and the sinfulness of our own hearts and lives and show us the very need that we have in our heart for a Savior. It pointed to the fact that we cannot save ourselves and that in and of ourselves, we are helpless and hopeless apart from Jesus Christ. That's why God said through the prophet Ezekiel these words, He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus knew that our heart was deceitful and desperately sick. He understood that. And he understood that we would not be able to measure up to the righteousness that he demanded of those who would follow after him. And that's why we find throughout the scripture that it tells us, All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. We all come face to face with our sin. Now look, maybe there's some things that you can do to help when it comes to issues and matters of the heart. I mean, when it comes to anger, maybe you can just put on K-love and that'll do it for you, right? Positive and encouraging, right? So that when you drive on 17... And you're hearing praise music, maybe you won't yell at your neighbor who's riding beside you, right? Uh, So maybe you can do those things. Uh, But listen, it's easy to understand because rage kind of boils up inside of us. It takes a heart change to do away with it. Uh, I mean, I can... I can remember in my own life, in my younger years, that was me. I mean, I would get to a certain place and then... It would come out sometimes on the person that didn't need it, right? But God, but God changed that heart and changed the way that I would respond to people. Uh, maybe we can, in, in dealing with lust, lustful intent, maybe we do things and, and put ourselves in places where we're protecting ourselves. Maybe uh, we guard ourselves from things that trigger lustful desires in our hearts, Maybe we struggle in that area so we don't go to the beach. Maybe I don't watch certain movies or television shows because it leads me to have impure thoughts in my heart and life. Maybe I make a covenant like Job not to put anything uh, impure uh, before my eyes. And so I do those things necessary. If it's my phone because it's with me all the time, maybe I sign up for one of the apps that takes my browsing history and sends it to a trusted friend or brother who will help hold me accountable in those areas. I have to sometimes take extreme measures to handle the areas of sin in my life. Uh, you know, as we do these things, as I said, Those are just band-aids because the true change is as we give our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ. The key to living a righteous life is found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians, in Christ, 
It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and he has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It is God who does a work to save us and to transform us and he begins to change us and transform us on a daily basis into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And he gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit in our lives and the Holy Spirit enables us and empowers us to live the life that he calls us to live. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us the capacity to walk in the righteousness that Christ demands of us. Listen, it's because of God's great love for us that Christ died and gave his life on Calvary's cross. And it's because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we can live for Christ. Listen, Paul says in Galatians, he says, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the deeds and the desires of the flesh. You see, the problem so often is we just live headlong out into the world and we try to tackle it all in our own power and our own strength. And we very quickly realize, sometimes 1.3 miles away from your house, that you don't have it all together. And you need the power of God within you to be able to live the life that Jesus Christ invites you to live. Listen, you may be here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you may find that your life is a mess. My friend, you will never reach the place of being able to please the Father and the Son in your own power and your own strength and in the flesh. Today, you need a heart transplant. You need to place your faith and your confidence in Jesus Christ to save you and redeem you from your sin, the penalty and the power of your sin, and to give you that new heart that you can begin to live as a kingdom disciple. But you may be here this morning, you've already trusted Christ, but you know that as the, as the light of the law shines within your heart, you see the dark spots. You see the dark spots. The beauty of this is this, that when God looks at the righteousness of each one of us, the beauty of it is that he sees the covering of Jesus Christ. The blood covers me. Doesn't mean that he lessens the calling on our life. We should all be pursuing righteousness and holiness. But he understands that we fail. And that's the beauty of the fact that he says in 1 John that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen, today, church, God has called us and invited us to be a part of a holy kingdom. And as he goes through the rest of this sermon, he's going to give us a picture of what it means to live as a disciple in his kingdom. I don't know about you, but all too often, I still see my failures and the struggle in my own life to be the man of God that he wants me to be. But thanks be to God, he is not finished with me. And each and every day is a conscious effort on my behalf to die to myself, to deny myself, and to walk in the power of of the Spirit of God.
That's my prayer for you today, that we would go from this place living as kingdom people, walking in a manner that pleases the Father. Let me pray for you. Fathers, we come before you this morning. We thank you and we praise you for who you are. Father, we thank you for the calling that you have placed before us, a calling to be a part of your family. And Father, we know that it is you who saves us. It is you who strengthens us. So in this day as a church, Father, would you pour your spirit out upon us that we would truly go out as disciples into this world around us. And as we learned last week, that we would shine brightly as the light of Christ Jesus. Father, may we present our members as offerings to you, our bodies as living sacrifices, no longer being conformed to the patterns and the ways of this world, but walking in a way that you would have us walk. Strengthen us in this day, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.